Welcome back, Bible students. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I guess uh, they are. Yeah. Like all, we are. We're Bible we're, students. They're Bible students. Yeah. Yeah. We're all good. Bible students. Yeah. We're all in Bible class together. <laughs> Bible class. Bible class. Um, so yes, uh, for this bonus episode of Drunk Bible Study, we wanted to explore some things from this week's episode, which was numbers 28, 29, and 30. Um, so I'll start us off here. And so I was trying to look up some more information about these sacrifices and like the numbers of these herds or like, were these actual sustainable numbers and were these more than other people? And unfortunately I had a hard time finding, nobody knows, finding any good answers to that. Um, basically like in my searching though, I didn't seem to find anything that was comparing amounts of animal sacrifices in certain cultures to others, um, which is interesting. Although some of them, some of the articles did mention the fact that um, like in Greek and Roman mythology, there's also a lot of animal sacrifice in that. Um, but it's, but the, they're kind of making the argument that like, it's different though. Cause those were different usually, how? I guess that those sacrifices like in the stories tended to be more for a certain reason to like appease a God or something rather than being like a regular, a regular kind thing, of established okay. huh. thing. They were a little more willy nilly. about more it. Reactionary, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, okay. maybe. Um, but uh, what I did learn though, is that something that one of these articles pointed out was cause they were talking about, they've got all these herds, right? Cause they're doing these sacrifices. Why do the people keep complaining about being hungry? Like, why did they need that's this manna question. Well, that's to true. live on? Yeah. Right? We're dying. God. So, well, they did say they didn't like that light bread. They didn't like the manna. Well, yeah. Too, too bad. <laughs> yeah. But so basically it doesn't, it isn't really explained in the Bible. I found this one article that gave a couple possible sort of theoretical answers. Okay. One, I don't buy as much, but maybe there's something to it. And this is kind of more about during Exodus when they first left Egypt, saying that perhaps Egyptian culture had kind of rubbed off on them in that eating like cows, for example, you wouldn't have done in Egypt because they were more worshipped than eaten. And so they're saying like maybe they kind of held on to that and so had a hard time with the idea of eating these animals. I don't know if I buy that yeah, one. I don't buy that. But it was interesting. Um, but then the other one was perhaps it's because this livestock is their source of income. And as mm. shepherds, it's more like we've got to maintain these flocks. Right. So we need the wool and the milk. and Right. But then it makes me wonder, though, if if it actually could just be that one, like because they're having to sacrifice a lot of these, that they can't be eating them because mm. they're doing this. Because hmm. um, only the priests get to eat them. Right, because only the priests get to eat the portion of it that doesn't get burned up. Um, I also learned about the tail of those fat-tailed sheep. You remember oh, that? Yes, I remember do remember that. Remember we reading about that? What about that, that? The tail of the fat-tailed sheep is considered the best part of it. Oh. So the fact that that part gets burned up entirely in the burnt offerings is significant, that they are kind of sacrificing, sacrificing the, the best, best part of this Ugh. animal like when they're sacrificing it. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I guess other than that, I kind of um, looked up just, I found this interesting article kind of about the animals in the Bible. And one thing that was interesting here is that uh, cattle specifically, like bulls, um, were kind of seen as a status symbol. 
Huh. Like they were harder to come by. They were a little more rare. Um, so like wealth wouldn't be measured by how many goats you have or how many sheep you have, but by how many cattle you have, how many really? bulls you have. Okay. Um, and it made me kind of wonder if that the reason why there's been this like update is because the tribe's doing a little better now. Yeah, maybe. Like people that, are richer. That's well, a really years, good point. Yeah, years have gone by. They've conquered some people. Maybe so now they... like, you got to kill more cows. They've probably stolen right. more cows. Right, from the people that they've right. conquered, yeah. right? I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. So they've expanded their, their herds by conquering these lands. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, we got to update it now. Like now, you notice you can't just like... Sacrifice pigeons new, anymore. Now you're in a new tax bracket. Right. <laughs> new tax yeah. bracket. That's a yeah. good analogy. Yeah. Um, and then I guess also just that, that uh, this does point out that at the time they would have been making um, cheese and yes. stuff like that from the milk. So it's also, there's food coming from them that doesn't just come from killing them. Yeah. So, Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Also, apparently that sheep were so plentiful, as you can tell, we were sacrificing like 14 at a time here, um, that they were like, pets also and like because you had they were just around like every family had some sheep and so they were like hanging out with the kids and like in your house and stuff like that what's the biblical evidence for that i think this is more of a historical more evidence of, a, of like what was happening at that time anthropological things. yeah there were probably a lot of them they were just hanging out there is a quote in samuel that's mentioned uh that talks about the lamb drinking from your cup Oh, interesting. Um, saying that that's a reference to the fact that they did like live in your house and would hang out with you. That makes it even worse. Yes, honestly. it does. Yes, it does. It's well, like killing Babe or or <laughs> Wilbur or any of them. Yeah, in yeah. Charlotte's Web. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I had a friend who that she was vegetarian and had been since she was a little kid because of that. Because she had exactly because she had a pet lamb. She grew up in uh, I forget which country, but somewhere in. Uh, uh, in a Muslim country and they had a pet lamb for a while that she like got really close to. And then it was being raised for this oh, sacrifice boy. for a particular <laughs> festival. And she was so traumatized oh, by this like day that she'd come, gotten so close to this lamb. And then it had led up to this day where they killed it in front of her and she was just horrified oh, my and she Lord. never ate meat again after that. So, wow. I so, wouldn't yeah. have either. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, what do you have? I guess I'll talk about divorce. And okay, this is the thing. There is a lot in here about divorce in Deuteronomy, where we're oh. going to even delve further into it. So I don't oh. want to spoil that for myself or the audience. That so I'm going to kind of like divorce laws are. Yeah, I, I guess so. Huh. So I'm going to kind of work around that a little bit. But basically, like the woman obviously seems a little vulnerable in terms of divorce because it seems like, and it, there is the implication that men can just divorce women for any number of reasons, like whatever they want, basically. However, okay. women had family and friends and even potentially children to back her up in certain instances. Like if there's so, a legal dispute. Yes. And oh. also they might press for things like reconciliation rather than divorce. And so, because like family means a lot, like right. this says like family means much more than it does now. And I'm like, whoa, okay, calm down. <laughs> Women in the Bible.net. But yeah, so there were a considerable we number of people in a family, more like a clan, in fact. So, okay, divorce is a matter of money because during a wedding, there will be like a large sum of money 
that is exchanged. Okay, like as a like a dowry. A dowry. Uh, when you get married, I'm sorry, not I was thinking of the divorce. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah. So the the husband might be able to use his wife's dowry and bride price bride price throughout the marriage and so if he divorces his wife he has to return both of these which is Hmm. fascinating i didn't know that so that means that divorce might be more of a rarity in these instances so it would cost him quite a bit yes Uh, i suppose i mean depending on his dowry and his bride price or whatever it was yeah (laughs) and this is very interesting this says neighboring countries favored the husband less than israel did the code of hammurabi which we've talked about oh yeah yeah allowed a woman to sue her husband for divorce if she could convince the court that she was wrong the wronged party then she would be able to be granted a divorce Hmm. and as far as it is known this was not the case in israel of course so that's fascinating yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting to get comparisons to other cultures. That's always something I'm curious about. Like, how much is this just normal and how much is this is unique to this tribe, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, hmm. so yeah, I mean, it basically it is saying that a husband could make any number of complaints against his wife. A woman on the other end could not initiate divorce proceedings. If her husband did not want to divorce her and she wanted to leave the marriage, her only option was to make his life so miserable that he would be glad to leave. Jeez. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, women in the Bible.net. So, and then there's more regarding all this, but it's, it's getting mm. into Deuteronomy, which we're not right. that far off from. So I want to, I want to wait yeah, we'll until that. we get there. Yeah. We'll save that. So, Anyways, that's a little bit about divorce. What do you have for us? Well, I was looking into women's vows. Mm. Yeah. What kind of things why, were they why vowing women about? Be vowing? <laughs> okay. You <laughs> some heavy sighs over there. There's just a lot of speculation. Yeah. Um, and gymnastics, as it were. Like mm. gymnastics. Mental gymnastics around okay. how to square the extreme patriarchy. <laughs> okay. Essentially. Are people trying um, to justify it, you mean? Yeah, or, people trying okay. to justify it or find a modern day interpretation that still feels good mm-hmm. or right. not guilt inducing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So what did I learn? Um, first of all, so for some examples that people tossed out, a woman might vow to pledge a certain amount of money to for charitable purposes. Really? Okay. Yes. Or what, to like what? give it to the poor. What or, money does a woman even have? Well, okay, so that's frankly. that's a common argument justifying this is that if a woman either belongs to her father or belongs to her husband, she's pledging money that doesn't belong to her. That's oh. why he gets the right of refusal mm, to okay. veto it. Okay. However, it also applies to things like whether or not she vows to be a Nazarite or okay, so, like I you guess. know, so okay. it doesn't necessarily have to apply just to money. Right. Um you know, or vowing certain things to God or so I got really deep down the rabbit hole of vows, Classic. basically. Classic Didi. I know it, it is a very set formula kind of thing. If it's always like an if then statement of like, if God grant me this thing, then I will give to God such and such thing. Now, is that actually because I always assume that was more of a modern sort of tit for tat sort of mentality. Yeah. That's kind of like praying in no, general. No, but right? we've already had well, examples no. of it. Well, I don't know. I don't pray. I've never prayed. <laughs> At like, least dear God, I will do this. If you do that. So what I was, or, or is praying had like multiple examples of it. Like Abraham did it. Jacob did it. Um, Oh, 
Really? What was what did they do you remember the examples? Well, I read them and then I was drinking whiskey, so no, I don't remember them specifically. (laughs) Wait. But uh, things like, you know, if you grant me this land or if you give me a son or if you... And we're going to go on to read about more and more people who are making vows Mm. in that way. Okay. In this very clear if-then statement. But So I think that's why it was very important that you had to follow through on it. I see. You know, so if you were like, God, if you grant me a son, then I will give him to the temple for instance, I see. and then God grants you a son, you can't just be like, oh, okay, cool. And then not follow through on it. Like right. you have to. So that's why there's a lot of language around. Like you cannot break a vow. You know, if you well, get the if goods, you do, then what you die. That is probably disastrous. Yeah. Okay. I guess it wasn't yes. the, the consequences were not clearly laid out, but I imagine yeah, but just that it's probably going to be bad for you. They're probably inferred from like God's track record. Right. Right. And so when you're trying to look specifically at like, Okay, but if it's not just about economics, why is it that men are allowed to veto women's vows other mm-hmm. than just patriarchy? And I mean, yeah. there's, you know, the usual song and dance bending over backwards of like, no, 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 this wasn't meant to limit uh-huh. women. This was uh-huh. just meant to protect women Ew. in case they made a vow like rashly or... In a bad well, what circumstance, about rash men. Vow? Well, exactly. Right. That's, that's what I'm that's like. Well, who's, who's guarding yeah. the guards? You know, who's <laughs> no who's, one. They don't who's need protecting no protecting the men, right? You because know, they're men and they know things. Yeah. So then I'm just like extreme eye roll. Like, yeah, okay, we have this extreme distrust of women and right. uh, you know think that they're emotional and rash and stuff like that. So uh, yes, but just that that like if she wanted to make a vow and didn't want it to be negated she would have to make it in privacy and in, you know, solitude where no one else was around to void it, basically. Yes. And so essentially having to participate in some self-silencing to a certain extent also. Well, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yes. It just seems like such an easy thing to do. Uh-huh. Right? Well, I think that the implication is that, like, you're always around your man and it's that you're true. always saying things out loud and that, like, he's always <laughs> potentially going to be like, nah. <laughs> you know? I guess. I guess uh, in my head, like, vows with Yahweh are usually done like, in your head. You're just thinking them. No, I think you, no this is very praying, specific. Though. You speak you it. You have to say it out loud. You speak it out loud. Yes. I see. Yeah. I see. So you either like go into your one room in the house, which probably your husband is there or he's out like sacrificing stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that the men are always, they're just constantly sacrificing things. Like like they, probably, out there. Yeah. they probably are. Well, so, okay. I found this really cute blog called Velveteen Rabbi. Um, yeah, which is actually run by a rabbi who's a woman um, oh, who is writing about this chapter specifically. And it's really struggling with it, you know, kind of for the same reasons of yeah. like, I, you know, I'm supposed to teach this on Sabbath, but how do I square this with my modern sensibilities? Um, Good question. And essentially what she came up with was kind of taking the gender out of it and making it more about like, if you are in charge of someone more vulnerable and you're caring for them, you're responsible for making sure that they don't get themselves into trouble. That's like a a person with a child. Yeah, exactly. But presumably this isn't like your wife isn't your kid. Right. Well, so that was, that was kind of her message that she took from it is like, if we take the whole like husband, wife, father, daughter dynamic out of it and just that anyone you're caring for, uh, you can take responsibility also for them not being led astray essentially. 
Okay. I guess I mean, in their commitments seems, or whatever. Yeah. I, I know it's also, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. I get it. All right. Well, well, cool. You got anything fun to end this episode with, or is this fun. one just going to be a downer? It's uh, not a downer. It just is. It's I thought just Velveteen the Rabbi Bible. was pretty fun. I mean, the name is great. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I like that very much because you know, she's sweet and, uh-huh. and, and the rabbi is trying to like figure out, uh-huh. The Bible and the Torah. Yeah. And that she managed to live even though she had to be burned. What? what? The Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, right. That is how that story ends. We were trying <laughs> to end things on starts. a fun note. No, it starts that way. How does it start? The little kid is sick with like oh, measles or they have to burn all something. The toys. They have to burn all the toys after they get better. Right. But the Velveteen Rabbit, who is the most loved toy ends up escaping and like becomes a real cry. rabbit. No, like it, it no, get, becomes I a real now. rabbit I and then comes that. back, you know, as what? a real rabbit and the kid sees it and it's like, <laughs> it's a real rabbit. Now. I haven't read that story in years. Oh, anyway. Well, now we're going to cry. So. <laughs> and Emily's Let's, already crying. I'm sorry. Oh that's the story. That's the, so the name. Let's when? end things. Let's just, let's just end it here. We'll just okay. call it now. All right. Well, see y'all next week. <laughs> what? That's so sad.